Hey there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 160. And today, I'd like to return to the topic of Christian unschooling. Yes, it's been a long time since I spoke about Christian unschooling. Most of my podcasts and blog posts are written for everybody, not just for people like us who have a Christian faith. So why am I thinking about Christian unschooling this week? Well, in the week I discovered that this podcast was added to a resource list on someone's blog. And that's really lovely. I always appreciate when people link my podcast or my blog to their blogs. It helps people discover what I'm doing. So there was no problem there whatsoever. I was very grateful for the inclusion on that resource list. But where I was included did give me something to think about. This podcast, Stories of an Unschooling Family, has been included in the list of secular homeschooling podcasts. It wasn't included in the Christian homeschooling blogs and podcasts. And so I was wondering, perhaps I don't mention Christian unschooling often enough. Maybe not enough people know that we are, in fact, Christians and that we are unschooling from a Christian perspective. Does it really matter if other people know that? Well, I guess that there are a lot of Christian unschoolers out there who are looking to connect in with other Christian unschoolers. Or maybe there are Christian homeschooling families who would like to unschool, but don't know if unschooling is the right thing for Christians to do. And of course, maybe I should be mentioning the foundation of our life more often, and that of course is God. We wouldn't be unschooling and wouldn't have the wonderful life that we are living if it wasn't for God being at the foundation of our life. No, all good things come from Him. And for us, unschooling only makes sense in the light of being Christians. I have pondered in the past, writing more about Christian unschooling. About 18 months ago, I actually created another blog, and it is called The Catholic Radical Unschool Cheese. And that might sound a very strange name, but I explained the name in my very first blog post. Yes, I was going to write about Christian unschooling, Catholic unschooling in particular, but I hoped that my posts would connect with anybody of any Christian faith. So I wrote about half a dozen posts, and then the blog died. I went back to my stories of an unschooling family blog. I'm finding it really hard to let go of that blog, even though I've run out of things to say and sometimes feel like going in a new direction. Yes, my heart lies there, but... If I stayed there and wrote more Christian unschooling posts, would I alienate the readership that I already have, or would I grow a new one? It's really hard to know. Uh, About the time that I created my Catholic Radical Unschool Cheese blog, I wrote a blog post called Bringing God into the Unschooling Picture. 
I got to one of those points where I felt that I had no more to say. You might know that I get to this point frequently. I have said everything I can possibly say about unschooling, examined it from all angles. But although I have written Christian unschooling posts, I felt that I could write more posts. I hadn't really explored unschooling properly, yes, from this point of view. So towards the end of the post, bringing God into the unschooling picture, I wrote, The other day I began thinking about Catholic unschooling. I didn't want to think about it. You see, what will happen if I decide I should explore unschooling from a Christian viewpoint? I've worked hard at including all my readers, regardless of beliefs, in the unschooling conversations here on my blog. If I wrote more openly Christian unschooling posts, would some readers feel alienated? I love having readers from many different backgrounds. We can learn from each other, even if we don't always agree on such matters as religion. That's why I try and write posts everyone can relate to. Oh yes, I mention Catholic things from time to time. I'm not afraid to talk about God. I've even written a few obviously Christian posts, such as, Can unschooling be a Christian thing to do? But this blog, and my podcast, can't really be described as particularly Christian. But despite appearances, it is a Christian blog. Although I don't often mention God, I talk about him all the time. Between the lines. Our kids have been given gifts that they have to use. These gifts are part of their missions. Where did our kids' gifts come from? And their missions. From God, of course. And who gives us the perfect example of unconditional love and forgiveness? And what about trust? Then there's the value and dignity of every person. And free will and self-giving love. Yes, even though I don't always come out and say it directly, our unschooling lives are built upon a foundation of faith. So is it better to continue writing about unschooling, using language we can all share? Write about faith in a less obvious way. Or is it time to be more openly who we are, Catholic unschoolers? If we bring God into the unschooling picture, a whole new conversation might begin, and that could be very exciting. Well, as I said, I wrote a few posts, and then I just returned to what I always write about. I, I, I write about unschooling with God between the lines. But every now and then, when I feel it's necessary, I do mention God. I'm not afraid to put his name in my posts. No, I'm very grateful to God. Without him, we wouldn't be living the life that we have. I said in that post, but this blog and my podcast can't really be described as particularly Christian. And I guess that's why this podcast was placed under the heading Secular Homeschooling Podcasts. So is it time to put the story right? Or should I just carry on as usual, just doing the occasional Christian unschooling podcast and writing the occasional Christian unschooling blog post? I don't know. I'd love to hear your views. 
But for today, I'm going to be whizzing through Christian unschooling. Yes, there's a lot I could say, but what I want to do is just give you a few ideas about how our Christian faith does fit in with unschooling. Maybe later on down the track, I can expand on each of the points that I want to make. I think there are many homeschoolers who get into the position of not enjoying homeschooling their kids. And maybe a lot of Christian homeschoolers look around at the alternatives and maybe they investigate unschooling, but then decide that because they are Christians, they just can't unschool. What they have to do is continue doing their duty. If homeschooling is a battle, well... It doesn't matter. They have to keep on going. It's what God expects them to do. Parenting isn't easy. Homeschooling isn't easy. Perhaps we just have to keep on going. That's what God requires. Well, I wondered about this for a while. And I really don't think that God wants our families to be a place of conflict. We shouldn't have to battle with each other. Our family is our safe place, our refuge from the world. It's the place where our children will learn about unconditional love. They will start their journey on becoming the people that they were created to be. More specifically, the people that God created them to be. The family is where children find out about God, how he loves us unconditionally. I think families are a group of imperfect people who help each other become the people that God created them to be. No, families aren't supposed to be a place of conflict. It's not our duty to battle. There is a better way. And I believe that better way is unschooling. Not only can Christians unschool, I think that unschooling is the right way for us to live. It's the right way for everybody to live. But especially if we have a faith, it not only fits in well, it's not only a viable option, I think it is actually the way we should live, as I said. So children belong to families. And families are all about helping each other become the people that God created us to be. We don't become better people by being criticised, by having our faults pointed out. You have to work on this, you have to work on that. No, I think it is unconditional love that changes us. Of course, while we are trying to become the best people we can be, we're going to have a lot of failures. We're going to fall down often. And when our families don't judge us but help us to get back on our feet... When they continue to love us unconditionally, when they don't criticize, when that happens, well, when that happens to me, I just want to be the best mother, the best wife, the best friend, whatever. I want to be the best person that I can be. I want to be worthy of that love that everybody is showing me. And I think it happens this way with our kids. When we love them unconditionally, they want to strive as well to become better people. They don't say, I did something wrong, a mum forgave me, so I'll go out there and do it again because I know that she'll keep on forgiving me. 
what I think really happens is that when we do love our kids unconditionally, they want to become worthy of that love. This, I think, stems from God's unconditional love. When we fail, God doesn't criticize us. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to have to do a lot better than that. Of course, he wants us to do better. But what does he keep doing? He keeps forgiving us. He keeps on loving us. Unconditional love makes me think of freedom. This sometimes is a stumbling block for Christian homeschoolers. They make lots of rules. Kids have to obey. Obedience is really valued. Kids should do as they are told. No questions asked. Respect the parents. And though I do believe that we should respect each other, I don't think that our kids have to obey us. No questions asked. They have free will. We all have free will. That's what God gave us. Love can only be genuine love if we are free to love. So we can't use our love to influence our children. We can't withdraw it if they do something wrong. We have to keep on loving. But also freedom comes into the issue of right and wrong. How do we teach our kids what is right and what is wrong? The rules may be, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. You have to obey the rules. Then you will learn what's right and wrong. And if you don't obey the rules, you will be punished. You will know that you have done wrong. This is the way that we teach our children right from wrong. Well, I don't really agree that that's the right way to teach our children about right and wrong. Children need to be motivated from within to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong. They shouldn't just do what is right because we're telling them the motivator for doing what is right can't come from outside. Now our kids have to know within themselves what is right and choose to do that. Of course, children learn right from wrong by being closely connected to us, by following our example. Of course, our children won't always do what is right, and nor will we. And as I said earlier, we have to be prepared to forgive. Respect. Children should respect their parents. Yes, they should. But also, parents have to be worthy of respect, and children should be respected as well. They have dignity and value just the same as adults. I think children learn to respect adults by being respected themselves. It all starts with us. We can't say to our kids, you have to respect adults because they are older than you and they have more experience than you, whatever, and give them the impression that it is all just about age, that they are not respected because they're merely children. And if we respect children, we will listen to them. And we will value what's important to them. If they have passions and interests, we will value them. And then if we bring God into the unschooling picture again, where did those passions and interests come from? Well, I think that God gives everybody unique talents. And these talents are all wrapped up in our missions. Yes, I think God wants each and every one of us to do something special with our lives. Now, it might be something very small. I don't think we're all going to go out there and do big things that everybody is going to be aware of. 
We all have different talents. Some people will have artistic talents, academic talents. Some people will have a gift for kindness. Whatever our talent is, it is important and it should be allowed to be expressed. Usually it's expressed through our passions and our interests. So if we don't allow our kids to develop their talents by following their passions and their interests, how will they ever be able to complete their missions in life? If we have other ideas, if we impose our own ideas upon our children, perhaps they won't do what God intended them to do. Of course, letting our children follow their passions and their interests might involve a lot of trust. We might not be able to see the big picture. Where will that interest lead? Maybe it's our duty as parents to make sure that our children have some sort of skill that will give them a safe and secure job for life. Or maybe it isn't. Maybe we should just trust that God knows where our children are going and that we shouldn't look too far ahead but just nurture what our children have and trust that God will show the way. There will be a place in the world for each and every one of our children, for us as well, to listen carefully, to be open to change sometimes. Not to be too concerned about the future, but to live more in the moment. Trust can be a big obstacle when unschooling. We can trust in the learning process. Our kids are wired to learn. They are curious people. We can trust that they will learn all they need to know when they need to know it. We can look at trust from that point of view. But then we can add in God. We trust that God is ultimately in control of all our lives. Well, that is, if we give our lives to God. Because sometimes... We just want to hang on to them ourselves. It can be hard to go where God leads. Sometimes we think we have better ideas than God. Maybe we're afraid that where God leads will be difficult. It might involve going in a direction that we don't really want to go. So we hang on tight. Well, at least I did. You probably know the story of my son Thomas. When I went for the 18-week ultrasound when I was pregnant with Thomas, we discovered that there was a problem. He had an abnormality incompatible with life. That's the way the doctors described it. What the doctor meant was that Thomas wouldn't live after birth. More specifically, the doctor said that he wouldn't have enough lung tissue for independent breathing. Yes, he was quite safe within the womb, but as soon as he had to breathe using his own lungs, yes, he could live on a respirator, but of course, babies have to breathe independently. So for five months, I prayed for a miracle because I could just not imagine giving birth to a baby and then holding that baby in my arms while he died. Yes, and then burying him. I didn't think I could do that. I wasn't strong enough. So I prayed for a miracle. I tried to say, your will be done, but my heart wasn't in it. I kept telling God all the reasons why he should give me my baby. I wasn't strong enough. Yes, I was only weak. It would affect our family too much. How were my children supposed to survive the death of a sibling? And think of all those babies in the world that are aborted. 
We wanted our baby. Surely God would let us have him. Well, Thomas was born, and Thomas died. There was no miracle. And that was really, really hard, as you can imagine. I was just so angry at first. I thought at first, if this is the plan that God has for my life, then I don't like it. I can't accept it. My plan for my life was so much better. It took me a while to change that thinking. I changed it because I had no choice. I knew that I couldn't survive on my own without God. Yes, the suffering was just too huge. I couldn't go on. And so I said to God, I trust, I trust that things will be all right, that the plan you have for my life is perfect. Yes, it might involve suffering. Yes, I've lost Thomas, but it's the right plan. I have to believe that. I have to keep on trusting. I will come through this. Yes, things will be okay. So I accepted that, but it didn't mean that things changed instantly. Oh no, I had months and months of dragging one foot in front of the other each and every day. It was very, very hard. But I kept praying. I kept believing that I would come through it. And I did. And looking back, yes, it was a sorrowful time and I still hold that sorrow within my heart. But yeah, joy came back to life. And though I don't understand everything perfectly, I do trust that God knows what he's doing. Of course he does. And I can see good coming out of Thomas's death. Yeah, he's with God. He is happy. It was me. I can remember the day he died and we were in the hospital and I remember Imogen. She was five years old and she came up to me and I had tears rolling down my face. And she says, Mom, why are you crying? Hasn't Thomas gone to God? Isn't that good? And of course she was right. But all I could think was, is it really good? Perhaps I've got everything wrong. Later on, Imogen did tell me that if she'd been a little bit older and had understood the situation a bit better, she would have felt very sorrowful as well. Because there are things that we have to endure that do cause us pain. Just because we accept what God sends us doesn't mean that we don't feel, that we don't grieve. It's not as if we find things easy just because we accept that God knows what he's doing and he will look after us. So I learned about trust the hard way. I learned to trust God with my life. And so I suppose trusting God as far as unschooling goes is relatively easy. Unschooling is our lives. We're putting our lives in God's hands every day. Part of that is unschooling. We trust he will look after us. We trust that he has a mission for each of us. We trust that he will show us the way. Maybe part of my mission is to tell other people about unschooling. I always have this yearning to tell homeschoolers who are struggling, who are having such problems, families where the joy has disappeared from their lives. Yes, I have a yearning to tell those homeschoolers about unschooling. There is a better way. So spreading the unschooling message 
Maybe that is part of my mission. Maybe it's not all my mission because before I was speaking about unschooling, I used to write about grief. And I was very fortunate that I made a lot of beautiful friends who were also grieving. Having experience of my own, I had empathy for other bereaved parents. I couldn't put things bright, but I could walk alongside them, give them a little bit of hope, listen to them, show them love, urge them to keep on putting one foot in front of the other. Putting one foot in front of the other, that describes unschooling sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, unschooling is such a joyful way of life, but there are days when we question what we're doing and we keep have to keep on trusting. We have to keep on moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other, especially during those times when our kids might make mistakes and our doubts arise again. Our confidence starts to lower. And yes, we have to examine what we're doing. Are we really on the right pathway? Yes, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Things will be okay. And every time that has happened to us, of course, God has led us through the difficult moments. And we have continued on. And we're still here telling other people about unschooling. I have gone all over the place with this unschooling discussion. I guess the problem is that there is so much to say about things like trust and respect, about our passions and interests and missions in life, about loving unconditionally and forgiving each other, about what a family really is. I mean, I could tell you multiple stories about each of those topics. And I have on my blog, though not all of them, mention God. Yes, some of them, you have to see God between the lines. So this, of course, isn't a thorough discussion about Christian unschooling. It's just opening up a discussion, maybe. Opening up the conversation. Should we talk more about Christian unschooling? Should I write more blog posts about it? Where is God leading me? Well, in my book, Radical Unschool Love, there is a Christian unschooling section. Also sprinkled throughout the remainder of the book, I do mention God. And I think that in those posts, even if people aren't Christians, there is still a lot that they can get out of reading the other posts. Even if they don't have a faith, even if I've mentioned God, there are a lot of points that can be pondered. But I think that God gives us a fuller understanding of unschooling. It makes unschooling go deeper, gives us more to think about, gives us more to be grateful for, maybe. Without God, we would not be living the joyful life that we are living today. Yes, I've come back to that again. So if you are a Christian unschooler, why don't you stop by my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I will write a post to go with this podcast. Maybe you can leave a comment on that post. Sometimes I write my blog posts a day or so after I have released my podcasts. So if you can't find a blog post about Christian unschooling, it's only because that I'm a bit slow. I do find it difficult to do a podcast and a blog post in one day. 
So yeah, come back another day. The post might just be delayed, but I will write one. So what I'm going to do to finish off this podcast is to share a story with you. And it's not a Christian unschooling story. It's not even a secular unschooling story. It's a children's story. It's actually a story from one of my Catholic children's novels. I just thought it would be fun to share a children's story. There's nothing particularly Catholic about this particular story. The reason I want to share it with you today is because it is about adventures, about being an adventurous parent. It sort of extends what we were talking about last week. You might remember that I shared a couple of stories with you about turning waiting times into adventures. In particular, I told you how I took some of my girls down to the lake on a rainy afternoon. I was a bit apprehensive about walking in the rain. Yes, rain would make my hair wet. I don't like having my hair plastered to my head. I'm quite particular about how I like my hair to look. Well, I'm not quite so fussy these days, but that was something that I had to learn about. Sometimes we miss out on so many joyful experiences because we're worried about silly things. Being adventurous parents means forgetting about the unimportant things, focusing on our children, what they would like to do with us, looking for the joy in every moment, forgetting about things like wet hair and what we look like. I have published two children's novels. The first one is called The Angels of Abbey Creek, and the second one is The Angels of Gumtree Road. And I've got a draft copy of the third one, The Angels of Convict Way, but it's been stuck on my computer for a very long time. Yes, I need to open the file and start working on it again. The reason I wrote the first book was because I wanted to write a novel, especially for my goddaughter, Elizabeth. I wanted her to read a book that she could relate to. I wanted it to be a novel that had the same setting as her life. She would read it and recognize all the things in her life, such as going to Mass, going to confession, celebrating Easter, you know, all sorts of things. But that doesn't mean the whole book is religious, because a Christian child's life isn't just made up of religious events. Christian children enjoy things that non-Christian children enjoy, such as having birthday parties, going on outings, losing teeth, having pets, going away on holiday, all the usual stuff. Many of the stories incorporate events from my family's life. Yes, I've used things that, that have happened to us and I've turned them into stories. I've written about what I know. It's always easier to do that rather than make things up. When I wrote the first novel, The Angels of Abbey Creek, Elizabeth was quite young and I wanted to write a book that she might be able to read by herself, so I wrote it with quite simple language. I think the next one, The Angels of Gumtree Road, is a little bit more complicated and now that Elizabeth is 13, I'm tempted to make the next novel, The Angels of Convict Way, 
more in line with what she would be reading today. Yes, more complicated language, more involving stories. So I guess my writing style has evolved um, along the way. Maybe I ought to go back and rewrite the first two to match the third one that I'm writing. I don't know. That's an author's dilemma, I suppose. So when I read this story to you, you might think it is quite simple. But it is a children's story, and it was meant for young children. In this story, the family end up having a birthday picnic inside their van while it's raining outside. And that's a little bit like our adventure by the lake, isn't it? And the mother in the story had to overcome her dislike of having wet hair. So that's why I've chosen this particular story, because it ties in very well with last week's podcast. So I hope you enjoy this story. It's called The Birthday. Soon it will be Celeste's birthday. She will be seven years old. Celeste can't wait for her special day to arrive. She knows she will get lots of presents. Kate will bake a birthday cake. And they will all go on a birthday outing. Where do you want to go on your birthday, asked Mum. Can we go for a bushwalk, asked Celeste. Can we go to the National Park? We could walk through the bush to the lookout. I'd like to see the waterfalls. That's a great idea, says Dad. But what if it rains, asked Mum. It won't be much fun walking in the rain. We'd better have a backup plan, just in case. We could go to the museum, suggests Kate. There's lots of interesting things to see in the museum. Like dinosaurs, says Joe. Celeste nods her head. Yes, if it is raining on her birthday, they will go to the museum and see the dinosaurs. And if the sun is shining, they will go for a bushwalk and have a picnic. When Celeste wakes up on her birthday, she smiles. She thinks, I'm one year older. Maybe I'm a big girl like Kate. She gets out of bed and runs to the mirror to see what she looks like. Kate, do you think I look older, she asks. Kate is still buried under her blankets. She doesn't want to open her eyes. She doesn't want to talk. Celeste runs across the room and jumps onto Kate's bed. She puts her face in front of her sisters and says, Do I look like a big girl? Kate opens one eye and looks at Celeste. Yes, you definitely look older. She closes her eye again. Celeste grins. Do you think everyone will notice? Kate doesn't answer. She has gone back to sleep. Celeste sighs. She wants Kate to wake up and get dressed. She wants everyone to get up. She wants to have breakfast and then open her presents. It seems like a long time before everyone is awake and dressed. But at last all the angels sit down around the kitchen table for breakfast. After the dishes have been washed up and dried, and morning prayers have been said, the angels gather in the living room. On the coffee table are lots of different shaped parcels wrapped in hand-painted wrapping paper. Some parcels are flat, others are lumpy. Some are soft, and others are hard. All the angels sing, Happy Birthday! And then finally, it is time for the first gift. Annie hands Celeste one of the lumpy presents, and she gives her sister a noisy kiss. The lumpy gift turns out to be a model Shetland pony, which delights Celeste. She collects horses. 
One by one, all the children give their presents to the birthday girl. Soon the floor is covered in wrapping paper. Arranged on the coffee table are Celeste's gifts. There is the pony, a book with a bright cover, a pink dress with sparkly sequins, a jigsaw puzzle with lots of pieces, some sheets of fairy stickers, a set of glitter pens, and a backpack complete with water bottle. Celeste feels all warm and happy. She loves being the birthday girl. She hugs mum and dad. She feels very special. So where should we go for the birthday outing, asked dad. Mum is peering out the window to see what the weather is like. It's not a sunny day. The sky is full of grey clouds. But it's not a rainy day either. Will they go for a bushwalk or will they go to the museum? Celeste looks at her new backpack and water bottle. Let's go and see the waterfalls, she says. Are you sure that's the best plan, asked Mum. Those clouds might be rain clouds. We could get wet. I don't mind getting wet, says Celeste. But Mum does. Rain will make her hair wet. It will stick to her head. Mum doesn't like wet hair at all. It might not rain, says Dad. The clouds might disappear. What do you think, dear? Mum looks at the birthday girl. She knows Celeste really wants to go for a walk with her new pack on her back. Then she says, yes, maybe the sun will appear. Well, let's get ready to go, shouts Dad. It doesn't take long for Mum and Kate to pack a picnic lunch into a basket. Dad carries it to the van. The angels climb into their seats and fasten their seatbelts. Soon the van is heading up the steep road towards the National Park. After a short drive, they arrive at the picnic area. Shall we walk to the lookout first, asked Dad. The exercise will work up an appetite. By the time we return, we shall be very hungry. Mum is looking at the sky. The clouds haven't disappeared. She hopes it won't rain while they are walking. Everyone is wearing a jacket, but will that keep them dry if it rains? She hopes her hair doesn't get wet. Celeste slips her arms into her backpack. Edward has a pack too. Joe has a wooden stick he is going to use as a staff. Kate takes hold of Lizzie's hand. Mum puts a camera around her neck. Then she slides Annie into her special carrier. Dad swings it up onto his back. Annie's legs are too small for a long walk. She is going to ride up high where she can see everything. The Angel family is ready. They set out along the bush track. They walk under the gum trees and then they climb up a steep hill. They stop to admire some flowers. They see golden wattle and banksia spikes. Mum takes lots of photos of the flowers. She takes lots of the children too. Smile, she says, again and again. Then Edward shouts, look at the echidna. Mum tries to take a photo of the animal, but it moves much too quickly. It burrows into the undergrowth. Did you see all those spines, she says, as the echidna disappears from sight. Lizzie is getting tired. Dad notices and calls a halt. Time for some chocolate, he says. Everyone sits down on some big rocks at the side of the track to rest their legs. Mum takes a bar of chocolate from Edward's pack and breaks it into pieces. 
Soon all the angels are munching. That will give us some extra energy, says Dad. Mum points her camera at her family and says, Smile! Click, click. Enough photos, says Dad. It's time to keep working. Finally, the angels arrive at the end of the track. They have come to the lookout. Wow! Look at the view, says Dad. Everyone stands on the edge of the cliff and looks down to the valley below. Mum is glad there is a fence. She doesn't want anyone to fall over the edge. It's a long way down. I can see the waterfalls, says Celeste. Look at all the trees, says Kate. Do you think anyone has ever walked down there? asked Joe. I can't see any roads or paths. How would anyone get down there? asked Lizzie. Mum turns on her camera. Line up along the fence, she orders. I must have some more photos. Smile! More photos? The children groan, but then they smile. They don't really mind having their photographs taken. Then just as Mum turns off her camera, she feels something on her face. It's a raindrop. Back to the van, shouts Dad. Mum quickly puts her camera into its case. She sighs. It's a long way back to the picnic grounds. She is sure they are going to get very wet. We should have brought some umbrellas, she says. Umbrellas, says Dad. No one goes bushwalking with an umbrella. We'll be okay. We're tough. But Mum doesn't feel tough. She feels wet. She knows her hair will soon be stuck to her head. She grabs Lizzie's hand and strides quickly down the path. They haven't gone very far before the rain starts to fall in a steady stream. Water is soon running down Mum's face. It drips off the end of her nose. Dad notices. He grins. You look funny. I'm not funny, says Mum. I'm wet. Then she notices water is also dripping off Dad's nose. She grins as she reaches for her camera. You'll get your camera wet, warns Dad. Just one photo, says Mum. You look so funny. The raindrops are dripping off everything. They slide off the leaves. They fall onto the ground. Puddles are appearing on the bush track. Mum notices how beautiful the bush looks in the rain. She forgets about hurrying back to the van. She looks this way and then that way. She wishes she could take photographs of everything. But Dad is right. The rain will damage her camera. Sometime later, the angels arrive back at the picnic area. They peel off their wet jackets before climbing inside the van. Dad retrieves the picnic basket from the boot. Soon everyone is munching the delicious birthday lunch. They devour ham and salad sandwiches, iced cupcakes and crunchy apples. Mum and Dad have a thermos flask of hot coffee. It is warm and dry inside the van. The windows are fogging up. Stop breathing, orders Mum. Everyone laughs. How can they stop breathing? Dad will have to wipe the windows clean before he can drive home. Later that evening, six tired children gather around the table for the birthday cake. Dad lights the candles. Celeste smiles happily while everyone sings happy birthday very loudly. Then she blows out all the candles with one breath. Mum takes one last photograph of the birthday girl before cutting up the cake. 
That was the best birthday ever, says Celeste, as she licks the last few cake crumbs from her fingers. It was perfect. But it rained, says Mum. I like rain, says Celeste. It made the bush smell all damp and earthy. And I love puddles. We couldn't eat our picnic outside, says Mum. I enjoyed eating inside the van. It was all warm and cosy, says Celeste. It felt like we were in a little world of our own. We all got very wet, says Mum. But we're waterproof, says Celeste. We soon dried off. I think it was a perfect day. Mum notices Lizzie is rubbing her eyes and yawning. It is time for her to get ready for bed. Annie has already fallen asleep. Celeste is tired too. But if she goes to bed, her birthday will end. She wants it to go on forever. You'll still be seven tomorrow, says Mum. Yes, Celeste has a whole year to enjoy being seven. She smiles. She gives Mum and Dad a hug and says good night. When all the children have gone to bed, Mum says, It was a good day, wasn't it? Dad nods. Mum thinks about the raindrops dropping off the leaves. They looked beautiful. She thinks about the picnic. It was good fun eating in the van, wasn't it? Dad nods again. Mum runs her fingers through her hair. It didn't really matter about getting her hair wet. It dried quickly once they got out of the rain. She remembers the huge smiles on all the children's faces. Yes, Celeste is right. Her birthday was perfect. So that was my story, The Birthday, from my book, The Angels of Abbey Creek. You can find my children's novels on Amazon if you're interested. But yes, Mum is very much like me. And Dad is very much like my husband, Andy. The children are a mixture of our children. No child matches up perfectly with any of ours. I had a little bit of fun that way. But the things that happen and the values that we live with, they're all in the stories. So I guess that's the end of my podcast. I've come to the end of episode 160. I would like to invite you to visit my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. If you would like to comment on anything that I've said today, please look for the post that I will write to go with this podcast. If you'd like to talk about Christian unschooling, please do. If you just want to say hello, that's okay as well. Of course, you'll find my unschooling books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love, on Amazon as Kindle ebooks and print books. I haven't told you any family news, and we have quite a lot of it. I will have to save that for another week. So thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time, don't forget to trust, respect, and love unconditionally. <laughs>